Good morning. So glad that you are all here with us. Again, want to welcome those that are with us online as well as uh, if this is your first time, love that you're here with us this morning. Uh, just so many people uh, joining us here in the month of January, and we're glad to be able to meet you, to get to be, connect with you, and uh, grateful to be able to have a part of our experience here this morning. Uh, if you missed last Sunday, uh, last Sunday was Vision Sunday 2024, uh, and I know it was cold, and it's possible some of you maybe were not able to make it, and so I want to challenge you, if Zoe is your home church, I want to challenge you to go back and watch the entire message from last Sunday. Uh, because I did three things. Number one, I shared the core of who we are as a church. We came back to who we are as a congregation. Uh, we also took some time to celebrate some of the cool things that took place in 2023. Uh, I shared the number of how much we were able to give toward missions last year. And it was a crazy, more than we've ever given before that we sent out of these doors so that people could hear the hope of the gospel. Uh, but also I took a moment to share the vision for 2024, where God is leading us in 2024. And I want you to hear the entire message, but I, I do just want to give you a flavor of what is, it, what is it that we sense God calling us to this year. There was two words that I shared, and Amber already alluded to that, and the word is make room. Make room. Feeling this calling that this is a year that God is inviting us to make room like never before in our lives for him. Because I don't know about you, but my life can be busy. I would guess your life is busy. And so easily we push him out of our lives. We don't make room for him. And I believe that he's actually inviting us to make room because there are things he wants to do in and through us that we will not receive unless we make room to receive it. I took us to a passage in Isaiah chapter 54 where God gave this prophecy to his people. And he said, listen, there's so much I want to do in you. But here's the deal. Your tent isn't big enough for what I want to do. So in order for you to receive it, you've actually got to move the pegs of your tent out. You have to make room so I can do what I want to do. And I felt like that's a word for us. Individually, in your life, there may be things God wants to do that you are missing out on simply because you have not made room to receive it from him. And I believe the same thing is true for us as a congregation, that there are things that God wants to do in and through us as a church that will not happen unless we take the step to make room. And so uh, this morning, we are kicking off a brand new series with the same title, Make Room. As over the next six weeks, uh, I think this is going to be a challenging series as we're going to take some time to confront some of the dangers, honestly, some of the dangers that you face and I face when it comes to our faith. There are things that we see across church world at large that I believe God wants to challenge us with. And so this morning, we're going to begin with one word that I think is so toxic in our faith, and yet it is so prevalent in the church at large. If you got your Bibles, would you turn with me to Revelation chapter 2? Revelation chapter 2, if you're using a digital Bible, I'm in the NIV here this morning. But I invite you, would you stand with me across the room as we're going to read our primary text here this morning? Nothing sacred about Santa, and it's just our tradition around here to say, God, we value your word above all. The angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. 
Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. If you would do this with me, would you just put your hands over your heart as we pray together? Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've spoken. And God, I I pray that today we would hear your voice again, fresh and anew. God, not just hear words written thousands of years ago, but instead, God, would we hear your Holy Spirit speaking directly to us? We open our ears, we open our minds, we open our hearts, we give you our attention for a few moments in this busy week to say, God, we need to hear from you. Have your way today, we pray. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Seated. All right, I want you to do something real quick for me. 10 seconds, I, uh, turn to your neighbor, tell them what is your favorite fast food restaurant. Real quick, turn to your neighbor. What's your favorite fast food restaurant? If you're with us online, type it below, okay? All right, all right, all right. How many, any classic McDonald's? Like, you're just beyond it. There's a couple of you, you're not, you're not ashamed of it. That's fine. Wendy's, how many like Wendy's? Any Wendy's fans out there? We've got a couple of Wendy's fans. All right, how about Taco Bell? Any taco? Okay, yeah, exactly. Exactly, Taco Bell, that's good. That's good. How about Culver's? Any Culver's fans out there? Okay, if you don't know the best meal in all the world, the kid's meal at Culver's. It's a secret. You don't have to be a kid to enjoy that meal. It's awesome, okay? Uh, how about sandwiches? How many like sandwiches, like Jimmy John's or uh, how about Jersey Mike's? Any Jersey Mike's fans? Okay, I like the Jersey Mike's. That's great. Love the Jersey Mike's. Uh, how about the Christian chicken? Anybody like Chick-fil-A? Okay, you like the Chick-fil-A? Or how about Cane's? How many on the other side? The Cane's? Okay, I love the Cane's. So, so good. Okay, and then my favorite, where are my people at? Where's the Chipotle fans out there? Any Chipotles? Okay, thank you. There we go. I knew there's always some fans. I love Chipotle. Okay, I was accused in first service that that's not fast food. I'm like, it's fast enough for me. It's fine. Okay. So we got fast food, but then we have like the next step up where you go to an actual restaurant and there's a server there who takes care of you and, you know, waits on you, takes your order, all that kind of stuff. But have you ever been to a restaurant like that and it was very evident that the server was not really excited about what they were doing? You ever had that experience, right? Where it's like, they're doing their job, right? They're coming, they're taking your order, whatever. But it's like, I don't know if they've had a bad day. I don't know if they're not excited about this role, but like their heart is not in what they are doing today. I think we've all experienced that at some point. I know for Amber and I, when we have somebody like that, we're like, okay, how can we make them smile? Like, we're, we're like super nice. Like, how can we make you happy? And some people don't tip those people. I say, tip them better, okay? They might've had a rough week. Like, tip them, make them feel loved a little bit today. But I think we've all experienced that where people are just, it's like they're going through the motions. They're doing a thing, but their hearts are not in it. Do you know what we call that? We call that apathy. Apathy. Now, what is Apathy. I think some people, we view apathy as, you know, well, I just don't do anything. Like, I'm so apathetic, so I don't do anything. That's one way of viewing apathy. But apathy also can mean that you do do all the things. You just don't have a heart that's connected to it. You're going through the motions, but your heart's just not in it. And when I think about one attitude that I can see that so easily can surface in the Christian world, it's this, religious apathy. Religious 
apathy. Now, yes, religious apathy can be found in the person who just says, I don't want to go to church. It's stupid. And maybe that's what you feel like. You're like, church is stupid. I don't even know why I would waste time doing that. But somebody dragged you here today. I'm just really glad that you're here. Okay. I'm super glad that you're here. Okay. So religious apathy, it can show up that way. But religious apathy can also show up in the person who is seemingly doing all the right things. And see, that's why this can be so dangerous. And that's why this passage that we're going to look at today is really, really important for us. Because it's possible to be doing all the right things on the outside and to still be religiously apathetic when it comes to Christ. See, the passage that we just read is found in the book of Revelation. And I think a lot of people view Revelation as some cryptic book written to 21st century believers as some massive end times riddle that needs to be solved. Okay, a lot of people view it that way. And I will say this, is there end times prophecy in the book of Revelation? Yes, absolutely. But the original audience of the book that we just read, the passage that we just read, is actually seven churches that were found in the Roman province of Asia 2,000 years ago, what we would consider modern-day Turkey. That's who this letter was originally written to. And you can read it in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. It, it spells out all seven of the churches that he's writing to. All right? And so this first church that he writes to, the one that gets called out here at the beginning of chapter 2, is the church in the city of Ephesus. And the people in Ephesus, Ephesus are called the Ephesians. All right? So you've seen a book called Ephesians. That's who he's writing to here as well. Okay, and so what happened in the book of Ephesians or in the city of Ephesus? See, Paul goes into Ephesus. You can read about this in Acts chapter 19. He goes in and this city is filled with cult worship and idolatry and all these people that are involved in all this disgusting stuff and immorality. It's just so prevalent. Like think of, you know, that just vile things. That's what this city is doing. And they're so committed to these cultic worship practices. And so Paul comes in and you read about in Acts chapter 19 and there's this salvation moment where all these people turn, they see the power of God and they respond to him and they lay aside all the stuff. They have all of this stuff that is extremely valuable, this stuff that is highly valuable to them and they actually start a big bonfire and they burn it all. They're so committed. They're like, because we are now gonna serve Christ, we've gotta kill and destroy all of this stuff in our life. He's the most important. We've gotta lay aside all this other stuff, Okay. So radical conversions that we see take place in the city of Ephesus. And I think it makes sense when you go to the book of Ephesians. Remember, it was written to the, the city of Ephesus, this church in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, this is what it says. It says, as for you, he's right into this church, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. That's the audience he was writing to there. These people, they were caught in all this evil practices and immorality, all this stuff. You are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. When you followed the way of Ephesus, when you did things like everybody else did in that culture, you were dead. But he goes on to say, but now you are alive in Christ. See, that's the message that he has for them. God did this amazing thing, this amazing work of rescuing all of these people in the city of Ephesus. And so we get to the to the book of Revelation chapter two. And we walk through this passage a little bit and we see these are the words of Christ spoken to this church. He says this in, in verse number two. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. Now, if somebody started talking to you that way, you'd be like, this is gonna be a good letter. <laughs> this is gonna be good stuff. 
He's already buttering us. This is going to be great. Like, yeah, you're right. I do work hard. I'm praying. So that's good. I mean, this amazing stuff, like your deeds, you hard work. Like you don't give up. Like you persevere. You stick with it, right? He goes on and says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them to be false. So he's writing to this group saying, listen, you guys don't just go along with what everybody says. If somebody comes, you don't just believe it right away. You come back to truth. What does God's word say? You come back to this reality, right? You test things. You make sure that it's true. Like you don't put up with wicked stuff. And some of you, I would bet some of you are gifted that way where where you would say, yeah, that's who I am. I'm somebody, I know when it's true. I know the word and I stand on that. I don't put up with wicked stuff. I'll stand up to that kind of stuff. And some of you might resonate with this. He goes on in verse number three. He says, you have persevered. It endured hardships for my name. Like you've gone when it wasn't easy. When it would have been easy to give up, when you would say, you know what? Ah, this is too much. I don't want to do this. He said, no, no, no. You've persevered through the hardships. And maybe some of you can relate to that because you're like, yeah, I, I've, I've stood. There's been some times where it would have been easier to give up, but I didn't. He says, you have not grown weary. So you read this and you're like, man, this is a good letter writing really good stuff. Like I feel encouraged right now. Like all this stuff that he's pointed out, but then you get to verse number four. And what did he say? Yet I hold this against you. And I'm sure the eyebrows raise like, okay. <laughs> oh no. He says, you have forsaken the love you had at first. There's other translations and most other translations would use this language. You have forsaken your first love. It's as if he's saying, listen, you guys are doing all the right things, right? You're going through the behaviors. You don't put up with certain things. You persevere. You don't give up. You keep going, but something is still off. You have missed the heart of what I'm calling you to. Your actions have simply become some hollow religious duty, right? You're going through the motions, and on the outside, it might look right, but in reality, you're far from me. You have put yourself into a dangerous place. And so he says this. He says, consider how far you have fallen. You're like, God, we we haven't fallen that much. We just got off a little. No, 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 no. Consider how far you've fallen. What you don't understand is that you think, well, I'm doing the right things. I just need a pivot. No, no, no. Doing the right things without a heart that is submitted and committed is a dangerous place to be. You might be like, no, I'm not that far off. No, your heart matters above all. Above all else, it says, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So he goes on and he says, repent, turn. Lay down and turn back to me. Repent and do the things you did at first. Think back to their story. In Acts 19, what happened? When they came to faith, they laid it all down. They burned up all the stuff that was in the way. They said, no, God, you are my first love and I'm gonna pursue you. Nothing else matters. Everything else is garbage compared to following you. He's saying, do the thing you did at first. If you do not repent, gives us the warning. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. I want you just to kind of stop and think about what's being said in this whole little passage. Because I think we need to receive this ourselves. He's saying, listen, you're doing good things. 
I'm not accusing you of the evil right now. You're doing good things. Your external activities are right. But the condition of your heart is putting you in a dangerous position. See, this is religious apathy. That's religious apathy. It's this place that we feel like, oh, it seems like everything's okay. And yet, I believe he would say to every single one of us, watch out. Watch out. You are on a dangerous path right now when you allow your heart to get to that place. So I don't know about you when you read this passage. uh, When I read this passage, it kind of makes me think about romantic relationships a little bit. (laughs) Talking about first love and all that kind of stuff. How many out there are married? Raise your hand if you're married. Okay, all right, put your hands down. I just wanna say this. If you are not married, some of you like wish you could raise your hand. Hey, listen, you are not a second class citizen in this church, okay? We love everyone. You, You are seen, you are valued, you are loved. I'm just gonna use this as an illustration here this morning, okay? Okay, how many of you have been married more than 10 years? Raise your hand, okay? More than 10 years. All right, put your hands down. So if you've been married for a long time, here's what I want. I want you to think back to what it was like when you first fell in love with your spouse. Back at the beginning, like a long time ago for some of you. You gotta think way back. Okay, I think back to when Amber and I first started relating. I think I shared this uh, back in the fall. Uh, but you know, when, when Amber and I, I started crushing on Amber and I was at North Central University. We were studying at the time and I'm crushing on Amber. And I lived in the apartment. She was just a, a little freshman at the time. And so she's in the dorms and I'm in the apartment. So I wouldn't ordinarily run into her. And so every day we had chapel. And so if this is my map, here's my apartment. And there she is, or there's chapel. So I just have to walk across the street. The problem is, you know, Amber lived way over here. So what I would do every day is I would, I would take the longest route possible around the campus just to hope that I would bump into Amber all day long. When I'd go to classes, I would just start meandering through hallways, hoping I would run into her at the time. You know, like, I would like, I, I like her. I want to see her. Like, how do I, I put so many steps on. It was really good for my heart. It was great. So I would just walk and I'm walking, I'm walking, I find her, you know? And it wasn't, this wasn't something like I had to do. I want to do. Like, I'm like, how can I find her? How can I find her? I remember back to when we first started, like, okay, I think this is going to be a relationship here. Amber, it was a spring break, and she's at her, at her house, and I'm in my home in Chicago at the time. So we're like eight, nine hours away from each other. And we wanted to still be able to talk. And so um, young people in the room, um, back in the day, you didn't have unlimited minutes on your phone all day long. You remember those days? Remember those days when you got like 40 minutes for the month? You know, that was all you got. But at nine o'clock... Nine o'clock, it was unlimited. All you could watch, all you could talk. It was great. So every night at nine o'clock, we would call each other. And I'm not exaggerating. For that week, at nine o'clock, we'd start. And for five to eight hours a night, we were on the phone. It's ridiculous. I think about that night. I'm like, we go to bed at nine o'clock. I don't know how we would start a conversation at nine o'clock. But we just kept talking and talking and talking. And was that work? No. Why? Because our hearts were in it. Like we were invested. Like this is what we wanted, you know? I remember I was, I was really cool in college. I was in a band in college, you know, and I traveled. Not cool at all. It was for North Central. It was their traveling group. So I'm in this band. So I'm traveling for like eight months. Amber used to drive all over the Midwest to try and show up to concerts where I was playing, right? Was that work for her? No. Why? Because her heart was in it. Like she wanted to do those things. Like we weren't going through the motion in response to the love we had. We gladly went out of our way to be with each other. We gladly inconvenienced ourselves because we weren't operating with some cold sense of duty toward one another. We were actually engaged from our heart. 
And then I remember the day that we got married. And you know what we said that day? We made all these vows that in hindsight, you're like, you have no idea what you're saying. I know. You know what I'm talking about? Married people, like, you're like, wow, those vows are a lot deeper than you think on your, on your wedding day. But what did we say on that day? I said, Amber, I'm putting you first. Amber said, Greg, I'm putting you first. It's not first in order, right? It's not just in order. It's not like, okay, Greg's first and all. No, no, it's preeminent. Like your love in terms of earthly relationships, Amber, you are first, meaning I view every other relationship on this planet through the lens of you. Like that's what it means to put first. And my heart is gonna stay engaged. And now just a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated 18 years of marriage, okay? We did it, Amber. 18 years of marriage. And uh, is it roses all the time? Nope. (laughs) And all the married people said, amen, right? Okay. We're messy just like you. Do we feel loving all the time toward one another? Nope. Right? Do we love each other perfectly? Nope. I fail Amber on a regular basis. But I would tell you that she is still first in my life. I would tell you that that my heart is still for her. I still want to sacrifice despite the mistakes I might make. She is still the one I want to pursue. I still want to fight for her. And I know that her heart is in the same place toward me. Okay? Here's the deal. I, I would guess that there are some of you here that maybe at some point in your life, you've met a couple where it was evident that their hearts are cold toward one another. Some of you have experienced that. To be honest, it's possible some of you walked in the door and you're like, that's where my marriage is today. Some of you, maybe you were raised in a home like that where it's like everybody's doing the stuff, like they're doing the married people things. Like, okay, we're going about, we're taking care of the kids, we're paying our bills, we're doing all these kind of things, we go to events together. But it's evident that the heart is not really in it anymore. The hearts are cold. It's become apathetic toward one another. I want you to hear this. There's an enemy of your soul that wants your marriage to be like that. That's what he wants. He doesn't want you guys. He wants you to to be apathetic. He wants everything to look right on the outside and your heart to be far from one another. That's what he wants in your marriage. He wants division that way. Why am I saying that? Because when it comes to faith, he wants the same thing for your spirituality. The enemy of your soul wants you cold toward Christ. You say, well, doesn't he want me to just get lost in all this sinful behavior and activity? Yeah, he does want that. But if he can't get you to do that, if he can't corrupt you with some evil behavior in some way, because a lot of us, if we've been serving Jesus for a few years, like we're like, I would never do those things. Even if I ran away from Jesus, I wouldn't do those behaviors because I'm just, I'm past that. I'm not gonna go in that way. Guess what? If he can't get you to do that, he'll just make your heart cold. He'll get you doing all the right things, like doing all the behaviors, following all the rituals, doing all those things, but your heart far from him. There's some of you here this morning, you're a good church person. 
You are a good church person. You come to Sunday services on a regular basis. Maybe even you serve regular. Maybe you open your Bible during the week and you read your chapter every day and you check your box and you go about that. You do the right thing, right? You always pursue, I'm gonna do the right thing. I don't wanna do the wrong thing. You're doing all of the things, but it has simply become a religious duty for you. Your heart is gone away. You have forgotten and forsaken your first love. And I believe this word is saying to us, see how far you've fallen. Because you're like, I'm okay, right? And the word says, listen, caution, be careful. When you allow your heart to get to that place, be careful because you're in dangerous territory. I think it's possible we've been in this you know, last week I shared it, today sharing this whole idea of make room. And it's possible when I've talked about this, for some of you, when I've talked about this, it's exposed some of that in you. Because when I say make room, like, hey, you need to make more room for God in your life, there's some of you that might just kind of roll your eyes a little bit and be like, uh, I don't have time for that, right? I don't have time for that. I'm actually not all that interested. Like, why would I do that? Why would I spend more time? Greg, I'm giving you my hour here on Sunday. Like, why? Well, I, I, this is it. Like, this is all I need to do, Right? It's possible that your heart can grow a little apathetic toward God. Disinterest can form in your heart. Your heart can become a little cold. And this serves as a warning. Hey, just because it looks good on the outside doesn't mean you're in a healthy place spiritually. And it's a reminder for me, Greg, just because you're doing things right on the outside doesn't mean your heart's in the right place. See, C.S. Lewis has a quote that I absolutely love. Um, you see it here. It says this, Christianity, and I would replace Christianity even with following Christ, committed to Christ, whatever it is. Following Christ, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And the question is, where are we at today? Would we genuinely be able to say, man, you are my first love, God. God, you are first in my life. And that isn't just like first in a laundry list of other things, but no, you're preeminent. Like everything else in my life, is, it all comes back to you being first. I make every decision around that. That's what it means to put him first, to love him first with all of our heart. Is that where you are today? Or would you say, man, I want to be there, Greg? And sometimes I might convince myself I'm there, but if I'm gonna be totally honest, my heart's a little cold right now. It's not like I'm, I'm lost in some evil sin, but my heart is not committed to Christ like that. See, if there's some of you here this morning that, that would say, you know what, if I'm really honest, Greg, like I, don't, I wouldn't wanna admit it, but if I was really trying to be honest, I think my heart's in a little bit of a colder place. I don't think my heart is in the, I'm doing the right things, but my heart's a little off. The question I want to ask is, okay, what do you do? Because what you can't do when your heart gets off like that, what you can't do is like, I'm going to do more things so that way my heart gets fixed. Like that doesn't solve anything. It's like, look at our heart. Like that doesn't work. We have to fix our heart by just trying problems. And so, so there is one thing that I believe every one of us needs to get a hold of and it's our big so what this morning. There's one thing I want you to take away. It's this. 
The antidote to apathy is the gospel. The antidote to apathy is the gospel. The antidote cannot simply be try harder. Otherwise, you've turned the good news of the gospel into moralism, which ultimately will suffocate you. You cannot do good enough to earn your salvation, your right standing. You cannot transform your own heart. That's what the gospel comes speaking. I am going to come put a new heart in you. I'm going to come do a work inside of you. And so what does it mean? If, if we want to see this apathy destroyed in our life, the antidote is coming back to the hope of the gospel. It's responding to the gospel to be reminded of the amazing God that we serve, to be reminded of what he has done. And some of you, you're like, well, today, Greg, my heart feels good today. But hear this. There are moments when your heart will become cold. There are moments in your life where you will sense yourself getting to a place where like, man, I'm just not where I used to be. Maybe you go through a hard season. Maybe you experience frustration. Maybe you get hurt really, really bad. You get stabbed in the back and your heart wants to get cold. It wants to get hard. You want to have a callous heart in that moment. You can sense it coming into you. What do you do? You repent and you do the things you did at first. Repent and do the thing at first. Repent. Say, God, my heart is in a very scary place right now. God, I repent of that, that I've even allowed my heart to get to that place. I repent of that, and I'm turning my heart back to you. I'm giving it to you, and I'm going to do the thing I did at first, which was what? You just simply respond to the gospel. That was what the Ephesians did. They simply responded to an invitation of the gospel. They were reminded of the good news of what God has done. And that's something we have to remember. The gospel is what Christ has done on our behalf. That we, in our our brokenness, we were dead. It's not that we were just off course a little bit, that we missed the mark a little bit. No, we were spiritually dead apart from Christ. But because of his great love for us, He has redeemed us. He has given us the ability to step back into his kingdom by the power of the cross. And for those of us who sometimes you're like, well, I've been saved, but I'm still struggling. I still get caught up in these behaviors. Hey, we all do, but you can also receive this confidence that he doesn't just say, well, just keep trying harder. He says, I will put my Holy Spirit inside of you to transform you in a way that you can't do for yourself. That's the good news of the gospel. Because some of you are bound in things and you need freedom. The Holy Spirit says, I can do that. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. To be reminded of the gospel. The gospel of what God has done for you. But it's also the gospel of who he is. The good news wasn't just an event that took place. The good news is who our God is says he is a God who is near to the brokenhearted. And some of you right now, you're walking through stuff and you feel brokenhearted. Like, man, I'm going through hell right now. I'm really sorry. But I want you to know that the gospel says he's with you there. He's not waiting for you to get your stuff cleaned up and to, to get past it. No, he'll meet you right where you're at. What you're walking through right now, he's there for you. That's the gospel. He says, well, guess what? When you mess up, guess what?
Guess what? I don't come to you when you, in your brokenness, when you feel that conviction. You're not, you can't just expect a bat over your head. Guess what? It's my kindness that actually leads you to repentance. It's my goodness. Like I'm saying, come, come, come. Would you come? I got better for you. Would you come? That's the gospel. It's who God is. He is a righteous, holy, good God who loves and desires to meet us in the midst of whatever we walk through. And he's just simply inviting us to himself again. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know what you're doing right now. I don't know what circumstances are in your life right now, but you can hear this. There is a God who cares about you intimately and he's inviting you back to himself. And if your heart has gotten cold, if your heart has gotten cold and you're just like, I don't know, I don't know what to do, you just simply come back to the gospel and respond to him again. Repent and do the thing you did at first. See, David, you know David, man after God's own heart. And then he screwed up royally. And when he's confronted, the good part is he doesn't respond in arrogance. He responds in repentance. And if you want to read how he responded, he responded in uh, Psalm chapter 51. He penned this psalm. Here's what he says. It says, create in me a pure heart, oh God. I think there's times where we gotta get to that place where we just say, God, my heart's not right. I'm not evil, I'm not running away from you, but God, if I'm honest, my heart is not right and I need you to create a pure heart in me, Lord. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me in this. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. This morning, this is an opportunity for us to simply come back to God with our hearts. Not to come just with the actions, the exterior actions, but to bring our hearts before the Lord and say, God, I want to come back to you. and I want, I want you to be first again. I think I've let you slip a little bit. I want you to be first in all things. Repent. Do the thing you did at first. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes across the room? Father, we thank you so much that you're constantly inviting us to yourself. And this morning, even the words that can sound harsh of repentance, it is a call because you have something better for us, God. And so, God, we just admit that we we accept something that's so much lower than what you want for us, God. We exchange this beautiful relationship with the king of all creation. We exchange it for a system of religion sometimes and just the behaviors and rituals. And we say, God, forgive us. We don't want to respond to a religious system. We want to respond to our savior. So God, would you do that right now again in our hearts? Stir our affections again for you, Lord. We admit we can't always love you perfectly, Lord. Would you stir affections? Give us fresh revelation of your goodness and your faithfulness today, God. Do it in our hearts, Lord. Do a deep work in our hearts today, God. With every head bowed and every eye closed across this room, I just want to give a response moment for everyone in this room. This is not for anybody else. This is for you and the Lord. But if you're here and you say, you know what? I love Jesus. I do. Um, I want to follow Jesus. But if I'm totally honest, my heart's a little cold right now. And I want to just offer my heart again to God. 
with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you today, just as in a moment with, with God yourself, would you just lift a hand and say, God, I wanna submit my heart to you again. I need you to soften my heart again. I need you to renew my heart again. I wanna be submitted to you again. God, do a work inside of me, Lord. Yeah, there's hands all over the room, but I'm not gonna hurry. As he begins to speak to you, say, yeah, I need, I need, a, need a fresh moment, Lord. Just, I've gotten a little cold in my faith, God, and I need, I need you just to soften my heart again. When you're ready, just lift a hand and say, yeah, that's me. I need, I need you, God, to move in my heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Would you stand with me across the room? Just encourage you to continue having a, a moment with Jesus right now. If you're comfortable doing so, would you just, just lift your hands in the room, all across this room, say, God, God, we're here. We're here to honor you. We're here to worship you, Father. God, would you forgive us of the times we've pursued other things, Lord? We repent today. We give you our hearts. We give you everything that we've got for your glory, to honor you, to worship you, to serve you, God. We worship your name, Jesus. God, I pray that everything that we would do, God, this faith thing would always start as a response. We don't initiate anything. You initiated everything, Lord. We just simply respond to your goodness and faithfulness, God. We thank you, Jesus. Even right now, would you just begin to lift your voice in worship? Would you begin to lift it up? Say, God, we worship you. We honor you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Celebrate you, God. Holy are you, Jesus. Holy are you, God. Thank you for saving me, God. Thank you for rescuing me, God. Thank you for redeeming me, God. Thank you for your patience. God, thank you that you never leave us. You don't forsake us, God. We thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Can we just take a moment to worship together as we respond?